Welcome to Faith and Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and today we pick back up on parenting. Um, we're going to not touch on the questions again because of the length of this um, script and podcast, but we do want to do one because we think we can deal with it re- relatively easily. Uh, one listener uh, asks, Help, how do we, it, it's vague. So uh, it's, it just says helping children with fears. Um, so now I know this person, her children are all grown. So I'm not sure if this might be like grandchildren or thinking back in her earlier days and stuff. But what? how do you handle your kids when they're afraid? Um, well, like the other night we had some thunder and lightning and Naomi got scared really <laughs> yeah well more to levi than her but um <laughs> we, i can picture him thumping across the floor <laughs> yeah um well and the, and so they had to memorize that verse for sunday school of when i am afraid then i trust in you god I, that's funny i was literally singing that when i am afraid oh, really? i will trust in you yeah so that, that's funny when they, well, yeah when they get scared or they cry we say hey whenever when you're scared it's okay that you're scared but what are you supposed to do and then they'll literally quote when i'm afraid i trust in you god so then we pray and that's how we handle it but you're you're teaching them to instinctively look to God in the midst of the fears, it, to not yeah. be controlled by them. I'm not sure I could say anything better than that. Um, there's places where you should be a fear of a feared, <laughs> afraid. Uh, you should have fear. Um, the wise man sees evil approaching and avoids it. Right? You should say, uh, "I don't like this," and leave. Um, I remember, in fact, Kim and I took our kids to one of those little neighborhood uh, fairs, you know, where they have, they come in and they set up their little yeah. rides and junk. And I've always thought they were a little sketchy, but but we we went and all of a sudden I just grabbed the kids' hands and I told Kim, we're leaving now. Uh, this is in LA. And the reason was I saw uh, various gangs showing up and they were all given hard eyes to each other. And I'm like, we're gonna have a shooting here. And I was afraid, I, I was like, I got my family here. And we left, I mean, it's, and so there's a place where you help your children understand there's a good time to be afraid and when you do try to remove yourself. But most people, it's those fears of just being yeah, afraid. No. Right. And and that's what you have to do. It's, it's that day by day, moment by moment turning helping them see, I can look to God, I can trust him, um, and I can't let the fear define me. That's what I would always tell people is, first of all, parents, if you're fearful, then you're not helping your children. If they don't see you uh, trusting God in the times of fear, then then you're a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah, it's something as simple as that. We're going to pray. You, you, you keep bringing that scripture and other scripture back to mind. But fear is always ultimately you in the scripture. Your fear is something. Then you turn into prayer. So in Philippians, right, 
uh, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. So teach your children to learn to pray, um, and that would be a very simple parenting tip and I think will resolve most of them. Um, if you, What you want is a fearless child. It just doesn't exist. Uh, a fearless child is a foolish one because they <laughs> – right? well, I mean because they don't recognize danger. Um, it's sure. like, no, you know, you're dumb. <laughs> That's what your problem is. So yeah. with that, we're going to talk about teen years. So those are always a challenge for parents. Um, it's something I find that many parents seem to dread. Uh, and I think partly that's because they know what they were like as teenagers. They, they think about all the things they did behind their parents' back. Um, but the hard reality is, is unless the Lord takes your children early, uh, everyone who is a parent is going to face this time. So what I tell people is embrace it. Embrace the fact that you now have a teenager and understand that. So... All teenage years are is it's a time of transition, and transition is always going to be hard for people. Uh, we like stability, and we don't like change. We There's this comfort of knowing what to do, how to do it, um, and this is certainly true when you're parenting little kids. You kind of get start to get good, and then they change. Um, the result is that we can hate change, and we can try to avoid it, but it is inevitable and as a result, various reactions come up. Uh, some parents try to ignore it until it can't be ignored. That's not good. Uh, some react to it when it comes. They just like, well, we'll deal with it when it's there. Wise parents, though, plan for it. They seek to guide those transitions as best they can. And that's the one that we would recommend is look at your five-year-old. In fact, one of the simple principles I always tell parents is ask yourself when your child is doing something you think is cute, will it still be cute in five years? If not, have them stop now. It'll be a lot easier than five years from now. Um, so again, the presence of teenagers can be hard because it's a great transition, not just society-wise, but their bodies are undergoing change. I always look at every father when his uh, his and when his daughter starts to hit puberty, and all of a sudden the body is changing, he's noticing hips, and and he's like, oh, you know, it's a frightening time. Uh, and that is where many parents end up stumbling. Um, we can try to treat them as children still, um, and you'll hear that all the time. Well, well, he's just a kid when they're talking about some 14-year-old. No, actually, he's not. Um we also can do another very foolish thing. We can just cut them loose completely and hope for the best. Uh, this is the parenting model of just hope that they don't do something stupid and pray a lot. And we actually had a, a, a woman in our church who was fairly influential in the early years. Uh, somebody was, their child was hitting the teen years, and she just said in a loud voice, oh, all you do is just survive. If she doesn't get pregnant and she doesn't do drugs, you did good. And I looked at her, and I'm like, that's just sad. That's, <laughs> that's sad. That's your goal is just survive these next several years. And it's interesting because her children did a lot of foolish things, including pregnancy out of wedlock. And I'm like, why? Because you were just trying to survive. I would argue, or we would argue, that we can anticipate this time and both consider it and approach it through a biblical paradigm or model. And that's what we're going to try to give you today. Yeah. So, first of all, um, it is important to understand that the idea of a teenager is 
a modern construct. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's just, it's not a biblical category, right? Um, so, so better to think of them as young adults um, with an emphasis upon adults. Um, so there is no, again, biblical category for teen, um, nor actually in, is there in most cultures. Right. Um, the, the Bible speaks of three groups. You've got children, you've got adults, and then you've got the elderly. So the goal is to get, uh, get out of childhood and youthfulness um, as fast as you can. Yeah. Uh, because that, I mean, the, you really don't see anything in scripture speaking well of uh, children or the immature. Yeah, our right? society exalts it. Yeah. But the scripture's like, no, that's not where you want to be. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so the goal is to get your children out of childhood and youthfulness. Um, and because that is where all that folly and that sin will abound, and you want to move them into adulthood and maturity where wisdom is found. Um, of course, assuming that you do it well. Right. So the teen is the teen, I guess we would say is not your enemy. Um, and you shouldn't be as that, I mean, as you were saying in survival mode, um, the, the potential for life changing actions grows with each year that your child is living. Um, so the damage that a three-year-old can do is usually a lot less than a 17-year-old. Um, but that, you know, that can result in a paralyzing fear. Um, also, as the child grows into adulthood, uh, they're going to begin to naturally push against, I mean, if you remember yourself when you were a teen, right? You're going to just naturally <laughs> want to push against those boundaries. You're going to want to question things. Um, and, and that can result in a, a defensive posture uh, by the parents rather than, you know, trying to interact with thoughtful engagement. Um, so you should begin preparing for that time when your child is young. Decisions and how you raise your little ones should always include the thought of how that will prepare them for young adulthood. Um, and again, something that parents often can fail to consider. Well, it goes back to what we said earlier in earlier podcasts where part of what you're doing when you're when they're two is teaching them to hear your voice yeah. because there's going to come a day where you desperately need them to hear your voice. But if you basically just ignored them or, you know, created little robots, there's a point when they're thinking independently and now you're trying to talk to them and you've never gained their voice uh, or, or their ear rather. And now you're hurting. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So in our culture, um, you know, this can be an awkward time of in-between. Um, and the, the better that is grasped, the easier uh, it's going to be. So they're, they're not children. Um, teens, they're, they're now in puberty. Um, and that's a huge point to understand and respect. Um, in the scriptures, they're already married and having children. Right. I mean, Mary was, what, right. 13, right. 14? <laughs> um, so, there, you know, there's that sexual awareness that comes into play. Um, and that's not your enemy. Um, that's actually part of God's divine purpose and how you react and act um, and how you act or react to that will go a long way in helping your teen. Uh, if you can understand that that's natural and right. There are many changes that they're experiencing uh, and for them, it's gonna be all new. Um, so having a wise and faithful parent presents uh, incredibly helpful things. So you're, you're moving away from telling them what to do um, like you would a two-year-old. Yeah. And you're now helping them figure out what they themselves should do. So you're, you're helping them think. In other right. words, um, you're, you're moving from giving orders and commands to now you're functioning more as that counselor. And that's hard because 
your knee-jerk reaction is just order. But your child will then leave at 18 or 20, and they're not able to think. They, yeah. they, you've never helped them think through. Yeah. Um, or they are, and it's just they're thinking in a category oh, no. that you don't okay. like. Fair enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so for, for a parent with teens, uh, what, what you have, again, just biblically speaking, you have young adults. Uh, in many ways, what you're, you're doing is you're shepherding and you're pastoring them. If you approach parenting your teen in that way, um, it makes things a lot easier. And so with that in mind, uh, let's give you some principles here to keep in mind. Yeah, and and what Matt just said is important. You're pastoring them. You're shepherding them. So the passages that we're going to draw from are really passages on shepherding. And hopefully that will help you as you're reading your Bible that you'll realize there's a lot here that will help me with my teen because you're talking to an adult. You're talking – what would you say to a, some – man or woman in your church who you're helping, well, that's the same kind of stuff you're going to do with your child uh, who's now a teenager. So first, we would say if if they've been raised in a Christian household, by now there should be a decision for Jesus Christ, or at least a, a, a very clear movement toward that decision. And if you're if you got a 14-year-old who's still saying, you're like, well, they're not Christian, there's something broken in your parenting. Something's happening here that um, you should be moving them toward that direction from day one. Now, we'll get into this more detail uh, in our upcoming episode on evangelizing your children. But if you're faithful as a Christian parent, they should be coming to certain conclusions related to Jesus Christ. Uh, This is no different than meeting with a person who doesn't know Jesus for the purpose of bringing them the gospel. Uh, At some point, you have to ask them, what do they believe and and why do they believe that? And then address those things. Uh, Very natural uh, for parents to have with their children. And if you're not having them, then again, you and your wife or husband need to pull back and think, why are we not having these kinds of conversations with our eight-year-old? What do you believe? Do you believe that? Why don't you believe it? Um, You should be pointing them to Jesus, having them read the Bible, teaching them of God, bringing them to church, memorizing Scripture for 12 to 14 years. And now the question is, what do they make of all of that? Uh, everything else we will discuss is presupposing that you have been raising your child as a Christian and not as a pagan. Yeah. Second, uh, we would say be on guard for your teen's soul. So in Acts chapter 20, 28 through 31, it says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. So the command there, uh, it's clear, um, keep watch. And it is primarily used uh, in Scripture to keep watch out for false doctrine. Um, So what we're saying to you is that the battle for your son and your daughter is at the heart level. Um, what, What, In other words, what they believe and what they love. This means that you have to exercise great diligence on the various ways that your your teenager is growing in their acquisition of knowledge and convictions. Um, This means that there's no excuse also for not knowing. Uh, You're to make the hearts of your children the basis of your intense study, um, you know, for the fullness of of their life, uh, you know, 
all the time that you have them. Yeah, they're not just coexisting in your home. You are watching and listening carefully to what they say and what they don't say, how they react and don't react, and what they, yeah, what they think. You want to know what's going on in my child's heart. Yeah. Um, well, so that involves personal relationships. Um, their, their books, shows that they watch, curriculum, what they're browsing on the internet, apps that they're having on their phone, and anything else that affects them. Uh, note also that it's for, here he says, it's for all the flock. Um, so in your case, this means all of your children, um, both the easy ones and the hard ones. You know, too often in the teen years, uh, the focus is purely on the one that's creating the trouble for you. Um, and so you just sort of set yeah. aside the the good one, the compliant child, right? right? Um, but a faithful parent is one who casts his eyes or her eyes over the entire family. Um, note that just as here is the Holy Spirit uh, is the one who has made these men elders, so you too have been appointed to be the parents or shepherds of these young people. So we would say embrace that as part of your calling and reason for your existence for that time, in other yeah, words, yeah. Um, and then take it very seriously. Uh, as we've already stated, you should be raising Christians and assuming that that's what you're doing uh, as well, then you should see that them as people who are more than merely your children. Rather, they belong to the church of God and are therefore brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yeah, you're raising them up to believe, and so treat them like a Christian. Uh, notice also in verse 29 that you're shepherding your teens. What is it that you're actually doing when you shepherd them? Well, the thing that you're protecting them or guarding them from is, first of all, people from outside the faith who come into their lives, just like Paul says. And he, he, he tells the Ephesian elders this, not because he has some prophetic moment, but because he knows the heart of men. Yeah. He, his theology is such that he knows that sinful it's a sinful world with sinful people, so he knows that in coming into the church will be ravenous wolves. And so a parent has to always be watching the people who come into their lives and affect their faith. So if you don't teach your children early on to discern truth and those who speak it, then you set them up as if as, as they get older to receive lies and 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 to hate Christ. Uh, these these people are not just friends; rather, they seek to destroy actually the faith of those in the church. And I think a lot of parents inadvertently allow non Christian friends to have way more influence in their children's lives than they realize. Oh, he's just their friend. It's like if he's not a Christian, then he is not speaking truth into that life, and and they're doing things that you'll never know about until. Much many years later. Uh, Paul also says it will be people that come from within the faith even. He says among the elders, there's going to rise up those who are false. Um, we have to accept that too, that there's going to be relationships that show up within the church that need to be monitored and discussed. Just because, in other words, a guy or a girl goes to the same church as you, it doesn't mean that that's a good relationship to develop for your, your son or daughter. Uh, there is a ton of bad teaching and a ton of doctrine uh, and living from within the church that we would reject. Uh, there are those who come into the church to prowl uh, or pray maybe uh, on those within it. A wise parent then would seek to shepherd their young adults through those waters of learning who should be your friend. Um, wh whenever you hear a girl say, well, he just makes me laugh, I shudder at that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but that's not going to that's not going to work in the years to come
And so if we were to summarize these points, uh, we would say that it's your job as a parent of teens to help them discern and confront or avoid those influences which promote bad doctrine and sin. So Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, and then he goes on for many verses, basically reject them. Uh, so you're looking at your friends, the, their friends. You're looking at those households. Are they people who embrace sound doctrine and sound living in light of that? So no Christian parents should allow the idea of false teaching somehow that they would think that that false teaching would somehow not impact their son and daughter. Um, life always betrays your true doctrine. Uh, in other words, doctrine always produces fruit. So you say, well, they believe these things, but their life doesn't reflect it. Then I would simply say they don't believe it. Um, your doctrine is what you do. Uh, no matter what you claim, what you do always shows what you believe. And so as your son or daughter grows and begins to make friends on their own, that's where your care as a parent or shepherd comes into play. Why are they wanting to be friends with those people and, and not these? And why are they doing that and not this? It's an, it's an opportunity to get a glimpse into their heart because their actions are revealing their heart. So when your teen has sin issues abound or control them, uh, it simply means that there are serious doctrinal issues at the core of it. So find the lie. That's the first thing you always have to do is you don't just deal with, shut up, go to your room, be quiet. We don't like that. It's, there's a lie that they bought into first, and that's why they're doing or believing these things. So early in their life, the expectation of obeying God was to obey parents. But as they get older, you must help them make that transition to simply obeying God. From dependence upon the parent, now you're teaching them independence from you, but you never teach them independence from God. Yep. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 4.10, uh, here we see four things needed to parent a teen well uh, as well. Um, so we're not going to read that just due to the length of it, but the point, the points we, we give here are derived from that passage. So first of all, we'd say be a godly example in all things. So Paul had absolute confidence that his life was being observed in all of its strengths and all of its weaknesses, you know, right before Timothy. Um, and so in verses 10 through 12, he lists the many things that he endured and experienced uh, of which Timothy knew about. So he didn't try to hide Right. Uh, those hardships of his he own life. He didn't put life. a big smile and say, uh, I, I have a triumphant life. He, he showed a real life in front of Timothy. Good, bad, and ugly. Yeah. Right. Um, and so there you got to you know note the faithfulness of Paul, both in the good and the pleasant and the difficult and the painful. He, he painted a, a living picture, if you will, of dependence upon Jesus Christ. And so this is what we would say is needed by your, your, your teens as they move into adulthood and that independence that you were talking about. Um, they don't need an airbrushed image, uh, you know, nor do they need to witness hypocrisy and action. That, that'll kill faith faster oh, than anything. Yeah. Um, rather, they need a, a mom or a dad committed to the historic doctrines of the Christian faith who live out those day-to-day -day lives in an awareness of the abiding presence of their Lord. So in our premarital counseling that you and I do, uh, we reference an image from Doug Wilson's book, Reforming Marriage, which is our premarital text. Right. Um, and he, he asks there in the beginning, what is the spiritual aroma of your household? Um, 
is it is it like that of freshly baked bread or is it like something has crawled under your refrigerator and died? Um, your your teenager knows the answer to that question. They, they yeah. see your home, they see your life, they see what you truly believe. Well, real quick anecdote of that. We had a family years ago that came in and they were a quiver full family and they were very proud of their many children. Um, and on the outside, they looked perfect, right? I mean, they had everything. Well, you find out later on as their children, one after another, are apostatizing and denying the faith that the father had a severe porn problem. Uh, and and it, it, the, the whole household, from starting with mom and dad, was just twisted and broken and legalistic. And and the kids saw that. They, they know how they were supposed to act at church. And so they put on a nice front. But behind the scenes, it was something on the refrigerator died and it killed it killed these children's souls and and that's what you'll see uh, so again w- when you're parenting a teen the problem is almost never with the teen right. <laughs> the problem is with the parent um, and and a lifestyle that they've made uh, many many years of choices yeah and they're not stupid i mean no. they're living in that home they understand exactly what's going on um so there can be value in others speaking into the life of your son or daughter um, but that will never come remotely close to the power of just godly living um, by you before the face of your own teenager. So as you live out your faith and you suffer for your faith, never forget that your son or your daughter is watching how that faith is intersecting with your life, especially um, a life that involves suffering. Um, I was just thinking about that a little bit, just thinking about how, you know, Christianity is starting to become persecuted mm-hmm. a little bit, not yeah. in major ways yet, but it's coming. <clears throat> and I was just thinking about the past few decades on how the church just keeps producing unbelieving children. And I wonder how much of that is the result of watching parents who never had to suffer for what they claim they believe. And so I'm just, I'm going to be interested to watch over this next decade or two as a child has to watch their parents sacrifice and suffer for what they're believing. And I wonder if that's going to then produce children who, because they now they've seen a real faith. Yeah, or a false faith. <laughs> well, yeah, on the other side yeah. of it. Um, but they're always watching is the point. Yes. And so it, I, I am actually remotely excited too. I mean, I, on one level, Kim and I just ache for our grandchildren uh, because we see our world. Um, and yet on the other side, I'm, I'm anticipating it because I, I first I trust my children and their their husbands or do- uh, wives, but also that that God is faithful, and uh, it, this is gone is the day of easy believism and vague Christianity. Um, you either believe or you don't, and and if it does, it comes with a cost. So I agree with you. Yeah, uh, Hebrews thirteen seven uh, says, "Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith." So we should. I mean, the principles there, we should live a life worthy of um, being remembered by those whom we lead. Um, so, so give them a vast library of actions and habits and attitudes to consider as they look at your life as it, you know, as it begins to wind down. Um, and note finally there that uh, in the writer's mind, your faith is not something that's private or personal. Um, rather, it's something that is observable and also one that your child can and should be able to imitate. You know, it's uh, uh, another little story came to mind. Years and years ago, 
we had a situation in our church with just some severe evil sin, really, really bad sin, um, destructive. And he was facing a very unpleasant situation, and I was going to have to confront the whole thing. And unbeknownst to me, a teenage girl um, at dinner table with her mom, because uh, they were saying, well, I wonder what Pastor Matt's going to do. And she's like, well, I think we're going to find out if he really believes what he's always been telling us. I never knew about that until years later and that I was faithful, that that when it all came out, we, we had to deal with it, that what struck the this young teenage girl was, wow, he does believe that. And I think that's what a lot of parents don't understand is they say the right words, but their actions speak totally opposite. And so that having that life of imitation is huge. Um, I mean, like I can think of my father. I remember no matter how early in the morning I woke up, he always woke up too, but he was always there with his Bible open and he was praying. And I know my children, they look at, if they were to look at my mom, their mom, my wife, they would say, she prays. She's a praying woman. And that's, that's the opera, that's that witness that you want. The next thing we'd say out of that passage, though, is to teach the Bible and sound doctrine. If they haven't figured out where this is not deep, hard stuff, it's, it's you know, your t- parenting your teen doesn't require sneaky insider tricks. Just teach them the Bible and sound doctrine. Uh, in verse 13, all the way into chapter 4, Paul is piling up the importance of Timothy to remember what was taught to him. Uh, This is very applicable to parenting teens. Uh, If we don't instruct from the Bible when they're littler, then we will uh, not, or we should not be shocked to find that there's little interest as they enter the adult uh, life. Uh, Reciting Bible verses is not the same thing as instructing them in the Word. Note how Paul speaks of the Bible's relevance for you and your family from birth through adulthood. In verses 14 and 15, he says, You, speaking of Timothy, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And who is that? That from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, your household should model a generational commitment to the Word of God, which means that if you're the first generation, then you are the one who starts that race and that habit. In verses 16 and 17, then, he shows how the Bible must affect how your home functions as a Christian home. He says, all Scripture, then, is inspired of God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In other words, don't be a functional pagan. Right, You either believe the Word of God is sufficient or you don't. Um, There's no higher authority in your home than the Word. There is no so-called truth that will be contrary to the Word in your home. The Bible is what motivates you on how you live in this age. And so as your child moves toward those teen teen years, you need to bring them to the Word for the basis of your thinking and your positions. They desperately need to see that you and your spouse are under the authority of God's Word, uh, and and that you're happy there, that that's a good place to be. It's not like, I got to do this. 
When your son or daughter decides to stiffen their neck, you don't change tactics. Uh, chapter 4, verse 2, it says whether it basically is saying that whether during the good or the bad times, the in-season or out-of-season times, you bring the Word of God to bear upon the situation. Yeah. A uh, third thing we'd say is that it's important to confront sin. Um, this comes from three, chapter 3, verse 16, and then chapter 4, verse 2. Um, so we, we use Scripture for reproof and correction and like pastors, parents as well are supposed to reprove, rebuke, exhort, um, and then of course they're with great patience. Yeah. Oh, uh, Lord, <laughs> sometimes you need a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that little preposition is important, huh? Yeah. Um, and this is where uh, parenting uh, can become hard, um, but this is where you truly own the calling to be a parent. Note there that you will never do this well. Uh, when you fail or you are lazy with those first two points. If you can't be a good example and you can't teach the word to your children, then it's going to be extremely hard to be able to confront sin in your home well. So sin is the key point of confrontation uh, and rebuke and correction. In other words, we're not saying you need to sit there and confront every preference. Yeah. Um, rather, it should be something which falls into that formal category of biblical sin. Um, so Paul reminds us that this must be done with great patience uh, because there, there can be hard seasons of correction that may go well into their lives as adults. Um, it's going to take some time. So you'll find that your, your young adults will want to know why you think something is wrong. Um, and this is why you bring them again to the Word of God. And it is why you must know the Bible yourself. This means you must be brave in these times. Um, you can't shirk that responsibility. It's very hard to watch parents who are afraid of what's going to happen or what might happen if they confront sin in their teen's life. Um, that is a person who has somehow forgotten or just lost God's calling for yeah, them. Yeah, if you're, if you're going to not hold to a biblical standard in your home because you're afraid your child will leave, then you've already lost it. it, it, it you're now functioning like a pagan. You have to... You have to be a man or woman who believes these are true, and therefore they will not be tolerated in my home. Um, and that's hard. That's frightening for parents, but not if they have a proper fear of God that's greater than their fear of man, including that son or daughter. So the final thing in First Timothy, we would say, or Second Timothy, is uh, test their faith. That's found in verses 3 through 10. So as Paul says that a time is coming when some will not endure sound doctrine, it's true as well with your children. Uh, as your sons and daughter grow into adulthood, they're going to begin to show you more clearly what they actually love and where their heart really is at. Watch the messages and the messengers that they gather around themselves. Uh, what is the message of the music and the videos that are flowing through their earbuds? Uh, refuse to be that person who tickles the ears of the teen. Don't be that. Uh, rather, when you are serious, rather when you see serious issues in their life, you must bring that lovingly but seriously to their attention and expect them to make a decision. Don't be so convinced of your child's faith that you're not testing that profession of faith. This is a hard balance to walk, but you have to walk it. Uh, it's, your child got baptized and, and made a profession of faith at eight, and now they're 14. You don't say, I think you're not saved, but you are pressing them. What do you believe? What do you believe? What do you believe? Why? Uh, that's something you have to do. And then we're going to uh, let's throw out some tidbits uh, before we finish this out. Um, the first one is this. 
help your team leave well. Um, that means you have to plan for the moment, right? You have to you have to look at little Naomi or Levi and realize your goal is to raise them up so they'll get out of your house, not live with you forever. That's not good. Um, I think a lot of parents just harm their uh, their teenagers and young adults because they they don't want them to leave. Oh no, they're a, they're they're welcome to stay here as long as they want. No, no, they're not. Especially a guy, get them out, make him stand on his own two feet. But it means you have to plan for that uh, in advance. Uh, way too many parents get grieve the passing of the various stages of childhood and the dread of having their children leave. But that's not proper. In fact, I would say it's even sinful thinking. It's good to create good memories in every one of those stages, but never to have the child stay in those stages. So it's good for a two-year-old to be a two-year-old, but it's not good to act like a two-year-old when you're 12. Um, this means you're planning to instruct them on how to arrange their lives and all of the key parts of life before they leave. Faith, finances, relationship, work, vocation, education, society, all of them are something that uh, we should be doing. Yeah, we'd also say train them to be prepared to marry uh, when they leave the home, regardless if they do or not. That should be the mindset. Um, between the ages of 12 and 18, you are to increasingly help them to make their own decisions as well. So at first you can and should intervene when a foolish decision is rendered. Um, as they approach 18, however, uh, you have to let them fail and you have to let them bear the fullness of the consequences of that bad decision. Um, so what you do is you you warn them and then you just sort of stand back. Uh, here's, here's an example um, of maybe that of your son wants to drive like an idiot. Um, and he gets a ticket. Well, he's going to have to pay for it. And, he has to, and you're not going to help him with that. And the insurance goes up, and he's going to pay that. And then he gets another ticket showing he's clearly not grasping this concept of driving intelligently. Um, so you just take the car away. And you say, well, you're going to have to walk. Um, and while it's snowing, then you better bundle up. Um, you know, there's just consequences to life because when you're 30 and you wreck your car because you're drunk – um, what do you do? Just drive around without license and do it again? Or do you understand there's consequences? Um, just you have to help them learn that they got to make decisions. Um, yeah, I, I got so many. I, I, I'm, uh, my children have all moved out, so I've got all these stories, but I don't want to embarrass my children uh, here. So, uh, sure. But every one of them made some really stupid decisions, and they all paid for it, but it, it was a good thing. Um, another thing we'd say is get your sons into the world on their own as soon as you can. Don't make it easy for them to vaguely float through life on your dime. Uh, that's actually contrary to the divine calling to be men who uh, protect and provide for a household. If they don't know how to do that, um, you're not. You, you make it very hard for the father of a young girl to say yes when they come knocking and saying, "Hey, I'd, I'd like to pursue your daughter." Um, you want you want that confidence that when that your son goes, knocks on a, another man's door to ask permission to pursue that girl, that you know that he's ready. You know that he's, he's, he's got what it takes and he's prepared to do it. Don't put it on that poor man to have to tell that guy, no, um, I had to do that countless times and it's miserable. Don't do that to the father of daughters. Yeah. Um, would say as well, tie faithfulness to their duties uh, and their chores and their employment. Um, <laughs> 
to food and comfort. Yep. Uh, it's, <laughs> Very simple. Sounds weird, but yeah. Uh, so 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 11 uh, is a good principle. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let him eat. Um, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Paul, where's the gospel? Oh, golly. Paul, I'm not hearing the gospel in this. That, that's pharisaical, Paul. I mean, that's what, <laughs> that's what you're going to hear in the church today. Oh, show yeah, show, show grace. them grace. Let's yeah. hear the gospel in that. He's like, yeah, let him not eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the discipline is the grace, right? That's actually an apostolic. He's not suggesting that let him. It's an actual imperative. It, it is it, an imperative. Yeah, it's a com, it's an apostolic command. Don't let them eat if they don't want to work. Yeah. Um, so something like that can start early, right? So just for example, your eight-year-old doesn't want to do his chores. Um, well, then dinner is something, you know, he gets to just sit and watch while the rest of the family enjoys it. Yeah, he doesn't get to go watch TV. Oh, no, you got to come. In fact, I would, if, if it was mine, I would make him actually even pray uh, <laughs> uh, the blessing over the mill. <laughs> it's like, all right, buddy, uh, sit. All right, you're going to pray. Well, I'm not eating. Yeah, that's right, but you're still going to pray that we enjoy this and God blesses us, and so do it. Now be quiet, you know, after he's done. It, yeah. Might as well learn. You don't want to do chores, then this is your life. Yeah. Yep. Um you know, a teen also who's just able to annoy and irritate the family. Um, well, that is a teen who's probably got too much time on his hands. <laughs> um, so we would say just, you know, that's one you fix immediately. Yeah. There's never a chore that you cannot find to keep a teen busy when they're saying they're bored. Right. Um, there's always something that needs to be folded, washed, pulled, cut, straightened, and... That should be his life. Don't let them be a bum. So a few more tidbits. Uh, don't get into date, debates over words with your teen. Um, you're still mom and dad. You, they're still to respect you. So you can appeal to them and remind them. But but when they start wanting to debate with you and just argue for argument's sake, you, you need to say, look, we can talk, but ultimately I'm still dad. Yeah. Uh, their choice of friends, second, we would say, can be very bad. Um, and it, it's not, it's not your responsibility to accept those friends. Um, we would say rather reject those which are pointing your teens toward evil. Um, also whatever sexual temptation you think they're under, understand it's likely far more than that. And the presence of sexually explicit material is likely far more prevalent in their life than you want to think. Yeah. Um, Con, con, uh, consequences are your friends, we would say. So don't be quick to remove them from your teen. Um, remember, repentance is not the same thing as enduring consequences. Um, but consequences are and can be a great way to help reveal repentance. Yeah. Uh, also, help them see things with a long view. Yes, lazy schoolwork seems to be a good idea when you want to hang out with friends, but the long-term costs are serious, even more so with a lazy spirit or a lying tongue. So you have to help them see that they're developing a reputation and it's not a good one. Yeah. And then everything ultimately is a revelation of their heart. So you'd be wise to train yourself to take note of what's being revealed, even if you don't speak to them on it every single time. And then being a parent, remember this, is a gift from God. 
and that includes being the parent of a teenager. So learn to see them as that gift. Uh, see your calling is to point them to a life under the gaze of their God and the goodness that comes with that life in Christ. Make the gospel then the foundation for all you do and then be a man or woman of God. Well, with that, we're going to pick up uh, on parenting next time. I think it's on evangelizing your child. Uh, but until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. Let us know your thoughts on raising teens. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. <music>